Talks at Afters, where you get access and insights from some of the best in the business. Here at Afters, we are on the land of the Gadigal and the Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the extraordinarily rich 60,000 years of continuous culture that we are so fortunate to have here in Australia. Hello, I'm Nell Greenwood, CEO of Afters. And this is the place where you can find insights from some of the leading creatives in our industry. Directors, producers, podcasters, cinematographers, sound designers, screenwriters, radio makers, and more. All talking about how to make great work in complex times. Welcome to Talks at Afters. You know, I think what we all love to do, it's it's addictive and, and the next story to tell and the next project to be on. I think that's why this period of COVID-19 and isolation is so difficult and so challenging because we're, we're ready to go on to the next, the next story. First-hand experience from the creators. And I decided to make a Tropfest film and I had $500 left in my bank account and I thought, I'm just going to do this. And that experience you know, completely changed my life. You know, the next day after winning Tropfest, I was, you know, invited to an advertising production company and um, and from there was approached by John Edwards at the time to give me my first really shot at TV directing on Secret Life. And I still remember that moment of driving along the Esplanade in St Kilda and turning the corner in my car and nearly dying. I was like, there's all these trucks and what am, <laughs> what am I gonna do? What how am I gonna do this? And it was and it was wonderful. I stepped onto set and it was it was extraordinary. That's Australian directors Dana Reed, who directed amongst many other things The Handmaid's Tale, Romper Stomper, and Sunshine, and Emma Freeman, who directed Stateless, Glitch, Secret City, in conversation with Afters head of directing Rowan Woods sharing their experiences of directing top flight, local and international television. It's great to be here and it's brilliant that we have uh, Emma Freeman and Dana Reed, two fabulously talented directors, super experienced screen directors, both here in Oz and internationally. Hey, Dana. Hey, Emma. Hello. Hello. How are you? Folks, it's quite a small world making TV um, here in Oz. Emma and Dana, you two obviously know each other well. We do. We've worked together <laughs> or crossed paths on many projects over the last, what, 20 years, Dana? Oh, my gosh, it's getting close to 20 years, yes. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've been in it for about 18 and you were there right at the beginning. And, and I'm looking at your amazing um, IMDb's and I'll get to those later, but I've noticed that you haven't worked on the same TV show since the very first show that you did, um, Secret Lives Us. Is there something going on there? You don't like working on oh, TV shows? No, there was something else, wasn't there? There was one other one beside that. We worked, we actually crossed paths on The Alice and yep. we crossed paths on Offspring, yep. which was a big one, I guess, for us across quite a few years. Yep. And that's all, I think, isn't it? But we've seen each other in many hallways and corridors. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. As you do. And I think I've crossed paths with you, Emma, socially in all sorts of situations, ADG events and the, and the like. And Dana, we've done an interesting American show together. We have, yes, yes. You're talking about, you know, Vicky Madden and all the spooky stuff. We did a spooky alien one together. We did, we did. 
So that's 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 what it's like, folks out there. It, it's a small world in Oz TV land, um, but these folks have got um, uh, have got pretty big uh, CVs. Now I'll do a setup by introducing Emma and working out with Emma how she got her first break. So, folks, Emma is a director that a lot of you students and a lot of you emerging directors might um, might be at one with in terms of where she came from. She came from wonderful film school, VCA, with a great tradition. She made an amazing short film called Plan, which won um, heaps prizes, including the big prize um, at the Tropicana Film Festival. And it's a really beautiful film. And then she cracked it for TV drama pretty soon after that. Is that right, Emma? That's right. I mean, it was really a lucky period because I went from VCA and I graduated and I didn't know, I didn't know what, you know, I was going to do. I was thinking, do I work in bars again? what will I do and I decided to make a trot fest film and I had $500 left in my bank account and I thought I'm just going to do this and that experience you know completely changed my life um you know the next day after winning trot fest I was you know invited into an advertising production company and from there was approached by John Edwards at the time to give me my first really shot at TV directing on Secret Life. So I kind of went from VCA student film sets to straight on to Secret Life of Us. And I still remember that moment of driving along the Esplanade in St Kilda and turning the corner in my car and nearly dying. I was like, there's all these trucks and <laughs> what am <laughs> what am I going to do? What, how am I going to do this? And it was, and it was wonderful. I stepped onto set and it was, it was extraordinary. So. Isn't it amazing how John Edwards name keeps on popping up um, as the person who sort of gave so many people their first breaks. He gave me my first break, but it also too, he plucks people from like quite brave and interesting places from short films um, and from music videos. He really, he really goes out there. Dana, did you connect with John Edwards along the way? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I, I, I got my first break on um, a different show on Blue Healers, but then straight into Secret Life of Us with John. And, of course, I worked with John on the miniseries Paper Giants and How's That Kerry Packers War. And so I've worked with John a lot. I'm going to cross to you and your pathway to your first gig now, Dana, because it's an interesting one. You did lots of different things before you cracked it for your first TV gig. And I want to go back because you are an amazingly all-round um, um, director with all sorts of skill sets. You started in your teenage years with a serious, um, serious approach to dancing that stretched all the way into your 30s. You went to, um, I'm looking at my notes here, you went to Curtin in Perth and you did a BA majoring in film, television and theatre arts. And then immediately after that, I think you went and did a tertiary qualification at WAPA, that fantastic place. And you became a professional actor soon after that. You did some amazing theatre pieces. You took a great show called Girls Gotta Eat. You travelled it around the country. Very soon after that, you cracked it for a lot of amazing um, uh, comedic TV gigs as an actor. You also did dramatic roles. You had a significant career as a professional actor, both on stage and screen, um, before you then came back to um, your original skill sets as a director of TV. How did that happen? How did you get your break at that point? Um, look, I guess it's such a strange thing because I, I felt I was always just, you know, not treading water with acting because 
it was fantastic and I was I loved every second of, of of doing it but I guess I always knew in the back of my mind that's what I really wanted to do and what I'd started doing so strangely enough I also did a trop fest film that got into the finals oh my god 1999 and alongside that I also where we were um doing full frontal the television show I was on blue healers was next door and uh so on my final live night I just went you know just crossed over the you know loading dock into there and kind of asked if they would um have me for a director's attachment so I did several director's attachments and I closely um my mentor was Kevin Carlin and then um I started directing Blue Healers so I kind of just started that way like through you know just jobbing in 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 those um in those series and learning on the fly really and you know with absolutely the same terror <laughs> that, that Emma talks about you know, is this that thing of suddenly you are doing it? I'd had a lot of experience on set, so at least I had, you know, I, I knew how the machine kind of worked from another side. So that was really advantageous. But yeah, it's no less daunting suddenly, you know, being on the other side of the camera and having to manage that great big machine. And then, um, obviously, once once you're both into the, your professional careers and you've got agents. I guess there are other folks along the way that you meet because they love your work and you love their work. Just tell us about that. I mean, Emma, you've worked with Glitch on with Louise, um, who's a wonderful writer, producer. Yeah, there's been some really extraordinary people along my journey. And I guess Imogen Banks would be one of those people. Like I did Tangle with her and obviously Offspring um, and then Sisters, so we've got a really a relationship that spans 10 years and, and I just love working with her. And then it was very strange for me because I'd worked with John and Imogen for so many years um, and got to know them so well and you get to know everyone's quirks and what they like and what they don't like. And then I went to work with Matchbox Pictures. Um, Tony Ayres reached out to me to work on Glitch and then I met the wonderful Lou Fox so it's, you know, you hope that you can find that like-mindedness um, and I think that's really important because the process is so unruly and so unpredictable that at least if you have that common idea or common interest in, in humanity, I guess, you can kind of find your way. <laughs> but if you have really different ideals about drama, then it can be really challenging. Yeah, you also have to make great TV, and you both did make really good TV. So, and and ultimately, as good as the relationships are between people, it's it's what you do in particularly in episodic TV that gets you the next gig. And um, excuse me while I look down at, at the IMDb pages for, for both of you that are just exhausting to look at because you've done a lot of like just absolutely exhausting. There's pages and pages when I break it down to the number of eps you've done in these shows, but. <clears throat> the thing that's amazing about both of you and both of your trajectories from somebody like myself who works in TV and has worked in Oz TV is the, um, just the, the, the number of really fantastic shows that you've worked on and the number of people that I know that are working at an absolute top level on Australian TV. And I'm just going to sort of race through it a bit. So, I mean, I'm sure that the, the, a lot of folks out there know you, but a lot of our students don't know you and they've gone to IMDb. Looking at Emma, you've done a stack of shows, including Secret Life of Us, Love My Way, Hawk the Telly Movie, which was a beautiful piece of work, your first long form piece. You did Tangle, which was another amazing series, Puberty Blues, Secret City, 
offspring, glitch, and stateless. I mean, just a sort of a stunning list. And I haven't even done the in-between ones. Oh, thank you. I think you just I think you just keep going, don't you? I mean, that's the amazing thing. It surprises me when I look at, you know, I don't I don't very often look at my own own IMDB, but Oh, come on. Yes, every day, Rowan, every day. Um, but you do look back and go, wow, like it's a lot of years of hard work. But it's also you know, I think what we all love to do, it's its addictive and, and the next story to tell and the next project to be on. I think that's why this period of COVID-19 and isolation is so difficult and so challenging because we're, we're ready to go on to the next, the next story. Mm. See, that's why you have to go, I had to go through, you have to go through your IMDb page because I'm like, every day I'm like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> Doing this ISO thing. Oh, that's right. Well, oh, that's right. Don't- Dana, I'll tell you who you are because I'm going to do your MVP now because yours is, yours is just as prolific. So you started around 2002, Secret Life of Us, a stack of shows um, between there and in, in the 2010s, Paper Giants, The Birth of Cleo, Paper Giants Magazine Wars, The Kerry Packer War, the, you did Secret River, which is one of my favourite um, pieces of Australian TV, which we'll come back to. Great shows like Ready for This, you did American shows, um, uh, Offspring, you did Sunshine, magnificent actor award-winning show, shot in Melbourne with, you know, wonderful new actors, non-actors and experienced actors with uh, Anthony LaPaglia in the mix. And then uh, you did shows like Romper Stomper and then you flipped into the international realm, you know, <laughs> um, which is totally amazing. You did, um, amongst many fantastic pieces, you did Handmaid's Tale, which you got an Emmy nomination for. Um, and then you did David Makes the Man, you did The Outsider, which is a fantastic series. I'd encourage people to watch that. Um, it's a series where executive producer Jason Bateman, director, actor, amazing person, um, based on a Stephen King thing, fantastic, and you've just done Space Force and you're about to do something else. Uh, I'm in the middle of Handmaid's Season 4. There you go. But we stopped. So, yeah, we had to, you know, not do it anymore. We are going to talk about directing and the mastery associated with our craft because we've got two wonderful practitioners here and I want to sort of get under the bonnet a little bit about the way they think as directors and I think that might be useful to a lot of you folks out there and inspiring. In terms of directing mastery, let's look at that aspect of the director's role that's about Um, taking a screenplay and putting it on the screen where you have to indulge yourself in some serious screenplay analysis. Now, lots of directors have different ways of approaching this. I'm going to go to Emma first. Um, Emma, um, we all know that really good TV has a particular um, look and tone that feels connected to the story that's being told, right? But So what's your process when you come into pre-production having read the pilot draft or, in your case, if you're the sole director, having read most of the drafts for the whole entire arc of the series? What's what's the first thing that you do? I think the first thing for me is really analysing the work, like really getting to know the screenplay or screenplays. So to me, I see pre-production, yes, it's about logistics, but it's also a dreaming time. It's about how can I best tell this story? And I'm very much from a place of I don't have a kind of house style or, you know, I'm entirely driven by the story and the characters. So for me, that's the first thing is I need to connect with the story, I need to connect with the characters 
and sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I mean, with the case of Stateless, it was like really quick. It was like 24 hours and I could see that show in my mind. Um, but to me, it's about serving that work and meditating on those ideas, I guess, um, to achieve the results. And also spending time with the writer. I mean, that's the thing that I, I do really love is, is being able to spend time with that person who is often spent, you know, a minimum of often five years developing the work and understanding what they imagined also. So it's it's sort of, it is a dreaming time. Um, and from there, I really gather a lot of reference material. Um, that could be just photographic material or filmic material and start assembling something that I can obviously present to the producers because, of course, you can have all these ideas but then a producer could turn around and go, no. <laughs> I don't like it. I, I do not like your ideas. So, you know, in the case of Stateless, you know, there were quite a few producers on that, uh, including Kate Blanchett. Um, so she uh, would come to the Adelaide studios and uh, we would talk through the look and the tone, along with Tony Ayres and Elise McCready. So, you know, there was a lot of people to communicate that vision to. And that's a fairly complex process, isn't it? Because when you're working in TV and there are a number of executive producers and producers and often the, the network is in their ear and sometimes they've been with the script for a lot longer than you or usually they have been with the script for a lot longer than you. It's a tricky, it's a tricky journey, isn't it? You know, I guess you have to learn a level of diplomacy but at the same time marry that diplomacy with, um, with a strength of vision. Yeah, and I think it's just those initial conversations and now I'm at a point where I know with Elise McCready we sat down before I took on the job and there was an official offer. We sat down for a cup of coffee and we talked about the project and she talked about how she saw it and I shared my ideas and pretty quickly we learnt we were on the same page. And from there it was so seamless. The um, actualization of Stateless was, was an absolute dream for me and probably the closest of of the way I want to work in the future that's great and I just I just want to sort of dig a little bit deeper because at the coalface when you're having those discussions with the producers and the executive producers the real creative coalface of course is you and um the cinematographer in this case the great Bonnie <laughs> we love Bonnie She's so yeah. good. So, so there's that going on uh, as well, isn't there? Because, you know, there's the presentation and, the, and, and trying out these ideas for a different approach or the aesthetic parameters or whatever reference points you have that you're presenting. But the, the, the sort of the, the formulation of that project-specific screen language and those aesthetic parameters and those reference points is really happening with your practitioners, your cine and your designer. That's right. I mean, we were worked so intensely together. I started off with a website of reference images that I shared with Bonnie and we were very much on the same page and we were completely in love with a film from Lebanon called Kapanam, which was one of my favourite films of 2019, I think. Um, and so, you know, I, I've never felt that sort of connection with a cinematographer. Like we just were kind of one person. Um, and then Melinda Doring in the mix as a designer who had to um, really dig into this idea of raw authenticity, which is really hard with television when a designer is asked to build a detention centre. 
in the middle of the desert, obviously with a lot of budget restrictions, just the detail in which she worked, the truthfulness of which she worked was so inspiring. It was incredible. Fabulous. Okay, I'm going to flip to Dana now because I'm, I want to I want to um, go into another area area of directing mastery that is so important to us, and that's the formulation of of of, of a very particular screen language that relates to POV. Um, uh, now, Dana, I'm a huge fan of your screen language. Um, I think I've sort of dribbled this to you before. Um, the way in which you often find very elegant solutions to um, uh, seemingly simple solutions to complex notions of POV. And I want to sort of throw you to um, Secret River, which is, again, one of my favourite pieces of TV. And if you could talk to some of the things that were wonderful from a viewer's point of view in Secret River, where you you captured landscape as a character and you also captured themes of land ownership um, and the way that you put us in the protagonist's headspace um, was quite remarkable. And that was all to do with the screen language and all to do with where you put camera and the extent to which you and your cine created that POV, if you like. Look, it's, it's really tricky because I'm, I'm very performance-based. So that's where I, I come from and analysing script that way. So it, it is, it's not really a conscious thing. There is... You know, I will often say when we're on the tech recce uh, or even, you know, when we're ready to block, everyone go, where's the camera? And I go, where I'm standing? You know, just, that's, you know, I'll just go walk there. And it is after doing all your work, like what Emma was talking about, you do all your work with the, with the script and what how the movie runs in your head when you read it and just what the journey of those people are. And, I, I mean, what we do is... Uh, really and Emma and I were talking about this before what we've got as directors is instinct that's that's it you're, you're, that's your thing that will set you apart from anybody else is how you see the world and how it impacts on you so I guess it, it's hard for me to analyze it because I just go walk over there and stand there and it is that thing of going it's here I'm, I'm going to be here and often because the character is going to be there that's what the character is seeing so you know we talked about this you know one of the great challenges of the Secret River is the fact that you know, it is a man falls in love with the landscape so massively that he, he commits a horrendous act in order to keep it. So it is that personal journey of, of seeing something that beautiful that we've got to show on, on screen that the audience goes, oh, I understand that journey. I understand where that, what that character feels. So it was that doesn't that beauty just hardly exists on me it does exist on our planet but you know it's hard for us in our 20k radius to find that beauty to to, to purvey that that feeling so I had to uh, Bruce Young and I had to create that feeling in him through our visual language through the landscape and through well really creating the river had to be a character so that when we put together it was a real you know um you know, Frankenstein of beautiful images to create, you know, this, this feeling um, that we could create a landscape that didn't exist anymore. So uh, you don't have to analyse too much because I'm going to prod you further. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, you, you and, and Bruce Young, right? Yeah. You and Bruce Young made some pretty tough decisions that, that impacted heavily on that schedule 
in terms of getting the, the, the landscape as a character for a start, you know, putting us in the POV of that river as it drifts from the ocean towards the sea, you know, that, that, that's a big call from you and Bruce to put the production under so much pressure as you did, I'm sure. I mean, I've never seen landscape shot as beautifully or as uncompromisingly in the piece of Oz TV as you did. So what you're doing is you're saying that you did that and you found that by instinct with you and Bruce and then you insisted upon getting that imagery, which is the river as a character, but also too, yeah? Oh, no, I was just saying it was a battle. It yeah, was I'm a sure terrible, it was. terrible I'm... battle. I mean, you want to kill people. You just you know, go, it is that thing of going, it's called the secret river. It's not called the secret footpath. It's not called <laughs> the secret cul-de-sac. It's called the secret effing river. So it has to have a river in it. You know, everyone's telling you to go, no, 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 we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. And you just go, oh, you got to push, you got to push, you got to push, you got to push. And you can't give up. And everybody hates you for a minute and then they all love you after. Well, there was there was that going on where you where you personified the river in terms of your screen language, but there was also, you know, the stuff of people talking and walking and where you put the camera. And and I think what I was feeling really strongly from yours and Bruce's screen language was that notion of land ownership where you really uncompromisingly put us in the protagonist's headspace in relation to the landscape that he was traversing. And that was really interesting because he's not a particularly, he started off as a reasonably good man, but he ends up a real shit. But that's a decision that you made as well to put yourself in this unsavoury headspace or a, or a headspace that became quite unsavoury. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was one of those things when I read that script um, we were speaking about this the other day, it was it got to the end of it and I was so confronted by my own ignorance and going, oh, my God, like this has happened everywhere and how can I be this educated and not know that? And then I started to analyse just what what kind of we've occluded, what we've forgotten as a, as a nation, but then if you break it down into the individual, what you're capable of when you want something and you think you're a good person and what leads you to take bad steps. And I think I wanted that character to not be an evil man. That that He starts off and you, you want to think you're with your hero on his journey. That's the language we're giving you. We're telling you this is you. You're on your journey. You're like this person. He's struggling. So are you. And then this terrible thing happens. So you ask that question of going, if you were in this situation, what would you do? And I think that's the, everyone will go, I would never do that. But I just wanted to push that because obviously people did do that. You know, and I, I just wanted to open that up and explore that as, as a notion by, you know, the way we, we cast. It's a really interesting way. I mean, I'm kind of diversifying what we're talking about. But that actor, Oliver Jackson Cohen, has an amazing capacity to live in a, in a, a, a beautiful and good wholesome place and a dark place that is kind of hidden away he just traverses that naturally and that's really what we needed for that character good good well let's let's just close the lid um on craft for a moment um because i want to go back to you emma and then i'll come to you dana about those reference points um to storytelling, particularly storytelling in TV, because you're both mainly working in TV, that inspires you. And early on, 
Um, Emma, you, you, you mentioned that Chernobyl was a great piece of TV directed by Johan Rank and written by the wonderful Craig Mason. What made it so amazing from a writing and, and directing perspective? I just watched it before I made Stateless and I just thought it was, um, it captured that raw authenticity that I was really interested in trying to capture in, in Stateless, putting the viewer inside the drama and trying to evoke a feeling of, of this is how it was. We're not watching this as a period piece. We're not watching this as a true story from the outside, but we are immersing the audience in the experience so you can feel it, you can smell it, you can, you know, feel the tension and the extraordinary rhythms in that piece as well. So for me, it, it was really inspiring in terms of his uncompromising approach to uh, putting the actors within the drama. Um, and he actually has a really interesting idea of that filmmaking should be a, a hard and terrible experience. <laughs> and, and when you talk about the river, Dana, I'm having to push for that river, he says that if it's too easy, if it's all coming too easy, then you're not doing your job because there's something about the energy uh, of that hardship that transfers to the screen. I myself do like to have a good time as yeah. well as make good work, but it's interesting when you look at a project like that, I could kind of feel that. There's a particular tension in the work that I think comes from the process, and I was really interested in that. But that's interesting, Emma, because, you know, you do like to have a good time and, and we'll talk about what's important to you in terms of collaboration and inspiring creativity in others. But at the same time, good ideas often mean hardship in terms of filmmaking. And it's a, it's a really a case of marrying that um, along the way when you're directing, isn't it? Particularly now that as directors, we have to be very serious about not just physical safety. We've always been careful about physical safety, but, but mental well-being as well. Yeah, and I think too we're under a lot of pressure in the Australian industry with a project like Stateless, you know, it's going to Netflix, it's kind of an international project, but it still has an Australian budget. We're still shooting eight minutes a day. And that's a hard thing to say to someone like Kate Blanchett, even though she's a producer on the show, oh, we're doing six scenes today. Um, so that's our reality. So it's kind of like it's always going to be hard for us. Um, it's always going to be a challenge to realise what you really saw back in those days of dreaming. And it's about... Uh, where you compromise. And often that happens on the day, which I think as you get more experienced, you know if the compromise is going to show or not, and that becomes sort of your skill, <laughs> that you have some little tricks that you go, okay, I've got 45 minutes to shoot this really important scene. Um, how can I do that in the best possible way? And indeed that often comes from, performance like how can I get the best performance even if it's two setups uh, some of my favorite scenes have been done in that last bit of the day when the light is dropping and it's torturous and they're often my you know favorite pieces of work <laughs> I did have a little chuckle when you mentioned the difficulty that we all have in selling the fact that you have you know an eight minute day to somebody <laughs> who perhaps imagines that they have, you know, two minutes a day and the pleasure of, you know, 
going this yeah. way and that way on a scene for the whole bloody day. Yeah, then the skill is kind of, you know, pretending, you know, like I think directors can also be great actors at times, obviously, and it's about um, never letting those actors know um, that they're doing so much or they're under so much pressure to do it. And I think that we become the buffer in that experience that, you know, an actor will get to the end of the day and go, oh, my goodness, did we do that much? You know, that was a great day. And that's what you want to hear, not, oh, I'm never going to do this again. Yeah, that's um, right. You're exactly right. They just need to not know the terrible thing that's about to happen to them. <laughs> As we laugh. I know, we laugh. They're not going to do it for us again. They're all going to know. But it is, that's an interesting thing that what, what Emma's talking about is the, the that problem solving of that's our great skill because we do have to do eight minutes a day. I don't do that on The Handmaid's Tale and uh, and Emma's about to find out all about that uh, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. But you you have to problem solve here and I get addicted to that. I don't know about Emma but I actually enjoy that process of going, right, I haven't got that, so I've got to do that. And now that I don't have that and that and I've got this much time, I've got to do it like that. And and that is a, a headspace in itself that I kind of enjoy. But then you get into the, like when I got into the Handmaid's Tale, I had to stop that problem-solving headspace and push it and let the other one in go, you can have anything you want now and go. You know, so and that's a really different way of thinking. Dana, that... that- aspect of directing and that skill set associated with being agile on your feet with problem solving is a really interesting aspect of what we do because we really have to do it under a strict time frame and part I guess part of our skill sets is being able to process questions really quickly and come up with answers really quickly I just that's actually a nice little segue because the next section that I wanted to cover um, was the importance of having a sense of agility in the directing role and having a sense of equanimity, that is being calm under pressure in the workplace. Now, Emma, in an earlier chat, we got into some interesting um, territory when you were talking about the perils of stress and emotion filtering down from you if you were to be too loud with those emotions, if if you like. Perhaps you can speak to all that in relation to the recent experiences on Stateless. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a priority for me and has been for many years to uh, process my stress and not take that out on the actors and the crew and create a space on set that is really free and positive and playful. And it's like the reality is, is you can get stressed and you can get angry and no one will go faster. So (laughs) it's kind of a waste of time. So it's, I think it's a lesson in being um, present in the experience and knowing you have a certain amount of time and just enjoying that time that you have. And I rarely get stressed. There were days on Stateless that I did get stressed, but most of the time that will be me walking away from the set and taking a few deep breaths <laughs> and, and going, it's all going to be okay. You know, at the end of the day, we're in a really privileged position We're employed to tell stories and um, film stories and create beautiful images and performances. Just enjoy it. So I think for me, I, you know, it's, it's rare now. And often my response is to go to hysteria and laughter. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, there were many times with Bonnie Elliott and I that we would just look at each other and go, I can't believe we've only got, we've got this huge song and dance routine and we've got Kate Blanchett singing a song up on the stage. We've got Yvonne Strahovski doing a full dance routine on the floor. Dominic West sitting in the audience. It's day three of the shoot and we have to shoot that entire sequence in, in a 10-hour day. So, you know, you could just suffer and I think for me what Dana was saying is so true it's about instinct and the more you can remain calm and connected the more you are connected to that intuition so for me it's a it's a really important thing it's also easier to have fun as well the easier it is to have fun um yeah talking about and 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 Dana I wanted to throw to you sorry hun I I I butted in but I wanted to throw to you in relation to the pleasure of directing and the pleasure of working with actors um but particularly um because you're a fine actor yourself and I, I my provocative way into this question is to ask you does being an actor make it tempting sometimes for you as a director to direct actors from the inside that is to direct or actor towards the instincts that you have as an actor, because I know you and I know that you have really, really immediate instincts about how a scene could be played. Is it, is it, is it interesting from your, from your point of view as an actor being a director? Oh, look, I, I mean, it's my favourite thing is working with the actors is, is my, my favourite part of that process. Um, and I guess, I mean, it, it's really interesting. I really love and I kind of always have, well, I, mean, I, say, I, I know how it should run, I know how the rhythm seems to go, but what I like is to see what everyone else brings to the table first. You know, I'll always go, and let's run it. They go, any thoughts, any this? No, 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 just let's just see it. And then from what we start with, then we can kind of start to, to, to create it from, from the impulse of allowing the actors to bring their own stuff to it. And then you can build on on top of that, and you can shape things to where you want to go. You go, how about you know, what about ending up over there and over there? It, it, everything is an experiment. Nothing is ever incorrect. And I always say that you know, a lot of young actors will, if you give them a, a note, which again, I don't even like that word note. You know, um, if you give them an offer, they'll go, oh, sorry. You go, no, no, no nothing is ever wrong. We are just getting it on its feet. And finding out where this thing is living, and, and and building the skeleton, and kind of, you know, really going for it, and then once that shape is formed, then you can kind of, you know, guide people with how fast, slow, you know, we're we're going to do this thing, do this dance. You can you can indicate to them and break all the rules. Well, yeah, you can go and then say it like this. <laughs> but but you know it's it, it but it but it's true, isn't it? Because you're describing a sort of a, a collective a collective state of mind where all relaxed about the fact that there's a million ways to do things um, and there's a million ways for them as actors to discover moments and discover the right ways to play a scene. But there's also different ways for you to be able to inspire them. And so often at film school, and I don't know about you, but I remember way back being told, oh, you don't tell an actor this or you don't tell an actor that. And then on set, you know, a really experienced actor will come up to you and say, how do you want me to say this line? I mean, it's ex- exactly right. I remember, you know, I, when I was, I was shadowing at this point, and the actor that I was, you know, I got, got to do some scenes, you know, with the people I was shadowing, and, the, and I knew the actor, and I just stood up from behind the monitor and I yelled, and I went, "Hey, Pete, 
you do it quicker? And the director freaked out and said, never, ever. No, no, never. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> it's like, I'm not yelling at him to tell him off. I'm just, I don't want to walk over there. So, yeah, you know, it's that thing of it depends on what your relationship with that person is. It will change what you can do with an actor. And I think the point that we should make to a lot of emerging filmmakers and students is that they don't do that immediately the first time they come on set. But what Dana described um, when she said she indicated the actor comes from a very well-developed relationship with that actor and a knowledge <laughs> on both of their parts that was respectful in relation to process and the fact that That's they were correct. really in control of their performance. Isn't that right, Dana? That is correct. I, it's because I knew Peter Hardy and, uh, and that, would, that was all right that I could do that, you know, so, but it depends on what your relationship with that actor is. So I always give all the actors a call before and often, you know, especially if you're doing episodic and you're not up the front and you're not doing the whole thing so you don't have access to actors for rehearsals, I call and I just have a chat. We talk about script and, you, you know, and we talk about all the different things that are going on for them and we get their ideas and we kind of think, what about this? I'm reckoning, I reckon this seems a bit this. We might push this. The character's going through that. So what do you reckon if we push that a bit more? And so you get those ideas out earlier. Of course, if you're doing the whole thing, then you can do that in rehearsal. But, yeah. Hey, both, just, of, you, hey, both of you, what's your, perfect, what's, what's your ultimate utopian uh, rehearsal strategy? I mean, I love to be able to sit in a room at least with an actor for half a day or a day, like on Stateless, you know, I sat in a room with Yvonne Strahovski for five full days and we just went through every scene in the first three episodes and that became absolutely critical in um, plotting her um, emotional journey. Um, but you do what, ideally, you would be spending a few hours in a room with someone because it's amazing one-on-one, -on -one, a few hours, <laughs> you will get to know them really well. So I think you don't want to step onto set and have no idea about how this person thinks. Um, yeah, and it's often, you know, you don't have to, like I don't like rehearsing the words or anything. It's just getting their ideas and their feedback on the script and, as Dana said, what their ideas are, what their imagination is, what they're thinking about, so you can help them. And that is our job as a director is to help our cast achieve the best possible performance. Yes. So the more you know their triggers and their ideas and who they are and their vulnerabilities and their defences, uh, the better chance you have in achieving a, a wonderful performance. I guess the interesting thing about the real world of, of directing TV particularly, but even um, independent movies, is the fact that rehearsals rarely exist in the schedule, um, well, to any great extent. So, um, Emma, I'm, when you said that, you, you, you know, at the very least you want to get with the actors for a couple of hours, you're really talking through the details of backstory and their, and, and their arc as characters within the, the, the time frame of the story, yeah? That's right, yeah. You're really getting to know them, their thoughts, and probably pivotal scenes. Like, you know, sometimes if I've got two hours, I'll pick, you know, five scenes that are really, to me, kind of the tent poles in their journey and we'll talk about those scenes. And then I'll always follow up with, here's my phone number, call me yeah. any time of the day or night you know, call me before, if you're worried about a scene, if you want to talk through an idea, just call me. 
um, if, and we if, can do that. If the actor has a significant transformation that's called upon from the text, that you and they go away and they do their homework in relation to backstory in a theoretical way, but they do then also um, extend upon that homework with some physical, vocal attributes to that character. Do you want to test that? Do you want to do you want to hear that and feel that um, before the day? Uh, I I like to have faith in people and their abilities and skills. So I, I think for me, I I don't want to micromanage someone's process. If there's something really wrong on the day, I think it's something that you can you know be really honest about and you can fix something like an accent, I think is probably good to hear to go, yeah, we're in the right area. Um, but apart from that, I think we all love to be surprised. And um, yeah, you want to give an actor that space to kind of find something without you going, show me, show me what you're doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, and often, I know it sounds terrible, but a more inexperienced actor or a younger actor might need more guidance with that kind of thing and go I'm, I'm going to do this and we go I love it but what about if you do that <laughs> you know it's that thing of going yeah that's good but I reckon if you go that way let's see if we if you go that way could be shit but let's go that way and see if that you know, so that's you can shape it if it's not kind of you know floating your boat but I'm with Emma I, mean, I think you've got to let people You've got to have enough of your own plan and enough of your own really strong knowledge in what the work is to go, okay, I'm going to let that person go and hopefully in a perfect world you get something really cool. And uh, But if it's not working, if it doesn't work, you've got enough knowledge to not sit there and go, oh, my God, the time's running out and I'm completely I'm at a loss. You've got something and a way in. And a caring, gentle way. I mean, I think Emma would agree with me to not destroy someone, to not say no, you know, to go, right, let's do that and then that, something else, you know, to, to, to bring out the best in in people. Um, and, and, yeah, because if, if it, I mean, I've felt it myself when it's not working, when I can't find the voice or I can't find the character you panic and you, you you can't find you can't find anything from a place of panic if you're not if you're searching for, for something so I think yeah as long as you've got your really strong knowledge and you've done your work then you can help someone get through it and you can change it if you don't like it and that's the reality too it's like you know it's not theater we're in filmmaking we're in we're in television making and there are takes and that's the thing that I also encourage it's like you know you don't want to be doing one take. You want to be, you know, I do it like on a close-up, which I always start my scenes with shooting the close-ups first. I want to be doing like eight takes or nine takes just to find the nuance in the scene. And so it's not about getting it right. It's, as Dana said, it's about just exploring it and and playing with it, I guess. It's a funny thing in, in what Emma's saying. I remember um, uh, Jamie Leslie, our beloved Jamie, who we've recently lost first OT, saying to me, you're doing that wide shot too many times. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm rehearsing. It's like, you know, and it was, it was lots of people. I, I wanted them to get the movement right to get that, you know, it's like, again, I'm ex-dancer, so I know when 
it's all going to go movement-wise, it's going to go click. You've been listening to Talks at Afters, an Australian film, television and radio school podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes. For show notes and other resources, head to afters.edu.au. That's afters.edu.au.